Welcome to another podcast on the Word of God. We are currently in the season of Easter, the season of Easter, which concerns the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which we celebrated on Easter Day. And now we celebrate seven weeks concerning Easter. And after that, we'll be celebrating Pentecost. And then we'll go into what we call the second half of the church liturgical calendar, which is the weeks after Pentecost. So we go from Advent in late November or early December, to Christmas, to Epiphany, to Lent, to Easter, and then we celebrate the day of Pentecost, which occurs 50 days after Easter. And then we have the Sundays after Pentecost, which is again the second half of our liturgical season. So we are celebrating Easter, the third Sunday of Easter, and we are looking at scriptures in the daily lectionary in the Book of Common Prayer from three texts. In the Old Testament, we are looking at Daniel, Daniel 4 through Daniel 6. Then we are going to look at 1 John 3 through the end of 5, and then 2 John and 3 John. And then we will look in our gospel reading in Luke. So remember that the lectionary goes through Matthew, Mark, and Luke throughout the church year. And every now and again, we have readings from the Gospel of Matthew, of Gospel of John, sorry, Gospel of John. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are continuous throughout the church year. And then we have John that comes in around certain special seasons. Now, John is the one that wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And 2 John and 3 John only have one chapter. So we don't say 2 John 2 or 2 John 1 something. We just say 2 John and whatever the number verse is, as you'll see in a few minutes. And then we looked at Daniel last week in the second Sunday of Easter. And we are going to continue our study of Daniel through the sixth chapter. Now, my favorite chapters in Daniel are chapters 1 through 6. 7 to 12 are a whole other genre. It's almost like you're in a different world. So we will be looking this week at those books in Daniel. Now, the stories in Daniel, and you may turn to the first one, which is uh, Daniel chapter 4, 1 to 18, uh, are wonderful stories with great teachings. So we obviously don't have enough time for me to read the story to you or to go over the story in great detail. That's for you to do. So what you want to do as you're working through these readings is you'll want to read them slowly and you want to think about what the writer is talking about and you'll want to think about what is the intended meaning. Now remember, there's two intended meanings. One is for that time. So when the Bible is writing, they are not specifically writing to you and me. They are specifically writing for that time. All right? So it's important to get the context correct. Now, once we've got the context correct and their understanding of that time, then we can say, okay, what is the Lord now saying? What is the Holy Spirit now saying to us? 
What is the Holy Spirit saying to us in this story or in these scriptures or in this poetry or in this wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, or in this gospel reading or in this uh, apocalypse revelation? Okay, so it's kind of a laborious um, process sometimes. So what you want to do is take the time to do that kind of study so that you can get the intended meaning. Now, a lot of people just lift words off the page. Sometimes you can get away with doing that, but sometimes in more difficult passages, I don't advise it because, again, you want to get um, the context, and uh, I would suggest several commentators' point of view on the reading and then figure out for yourself what you uh, believe God is saying to you about the text. So in chapter 4, of Daniel, which is on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. We're looking at Nebuchadnezzar again, and he says something quite extraordinary about God in verse 3. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. Now, this is not a Christian person or even a Jewish person in any way, shape, or form. This is a pagan king. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, that is excellent and very truthful. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and he gets everybody together, and he's looking for someone to um, interpret the dream, and he talks about the dream in verse 13. I saw visions in my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven, and he proclaimed, and then he's sharing that with you. Well, guess who's going to interpret the second dream? Well, Daniel is. Now, remember, he interpreted the first one and was highly praised for it. Then Daniel, whose name, verse 19, was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. And then he interprets the dream for them. Okay? Verse 22. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation. So he interprets it. And again, only Daniel can do that. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28. And the dream came true. Again, I'm not going to go through any great detail to you, through you, uh, to you, because we wouldn't get to 1 John and Luke. But please read that, and it was, it's quite extraordinary. At the end of the day, Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to heaven in verse 34, and he blessed the Lord Most High and praised and honored him. So we end in chapter 4 with this great proclamation of how great God is. How great God is. And again, listen to the lesson the Lord shares with you in chapter 4. In chapter 5, we have the very famous, very famous saying of the handwriting on the wall. We have King Belshazzar. He made a great feast, drank wine in front of the thousand, chapter 5, verse 1. When he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is his father, so he's the son, had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem, 
that the kings and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink. Then he brought in the vessels. And immediately, here's what happened, verse 5. The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave, gave way. His knees knocked together. And the king called loudly, verse 7, to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, isn't that amazing? Stop and think about that. Here's an immensely powerful person. He sees this handwriting on the wall. He has a panic attack, as it were, and he calls together anyone and everyone who can interpret this and gives them this outstanding, unbelievable money and power if they can do so. And again, who's going to interpret? The great Daniel. And I don't want to spoil it for you. Read it and enjoy it. It is very beautiful and very, very powerful. And he interpreted it. Verse 29, and Daniel was clothed with purple and chain of gold around his neck. And a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. Again, a very powerful statement and a very strong theological truth. Well, finally, we have Daniel chapter 6, which is probably the most famous, believe it or not, of these six chapters. And that is Daniel in the lion's den. Everybody knows that story. And so... When you read Daniel in the lion's den, you will see that Daniel was trapped and they were out to get him. He continued to obey God. He continued to do what God says. There's no way the king can get out of it, the injunction that he proclaimed. And Daniel is thrown in the lion's den because he would not bow down to the king. The king was very sad because he loved Daniel. Then the king commanded, verse 16, and Daniel was brought into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. There's nothing he could do about it. And the nothing he would do about it. But he wishes he could. But he couldn't go against his own edict. Then the king went to his palace, verse 18, and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. And sleep fled from him. Read the rest of it. It is fabulous. What happens to Daniel in the lion's den? So we have Nebuchadnezzar. We have Belteshazzar. And we have Daniel. Three great stories in four, five, and six that are literally timeless. Could be told for ages and ages and ages, and we're still telling these stories because the truths that they contain are so wonderful. Now, in 1 John, John the Apostle, the one that's closest to Jesus, is writing. And this is 1 John 3, 19 to 4, 6, where we begin on Monday. Now, 1 John is an extremely powerful text. 
series of writings, chapters. Remember, they were not chapters originally. They just wrote continuous sentences in Greek. And, but it's a very powerful text, and it centers around our relationship with Christ and our love for God. And he continues to um, share that point of view throughout the five chapters. Who is Christ? How should we relate to him? And John, as he did in his gospel, makes a big deal out of love. So as you're reading 1 John, these are scriptures that are really very deep, much like the profundity of the gospel reading, simple sentences for very deep language. John is certainly a very gifted writer. I love particularly 1 John 4, 7 to 21. It's great for the church today about loving one another. Whenever I want to deal with the idea of God loving us, I often go to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's letter to the Corinthians about love, very famous chapter. But I love going to 1 John chapter 4 because it's equally good, but not as famous. Beloved, let us love one another, verse 7, for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God is made manifest among us, verse 9, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So what you want to do, particularly if you have a good feel for John's gospel, is you will very much appreciate the writer in his epistles. Now he's not speaking of Jesus presently as in the gospels and recounting what he said and what he did but he's now reflecting on that afterwards and he's writing a letter and summing up some of the major ideas that he has about christ verse 20 of chapter 4 if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god for whom he is not seen and this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that concludes chapter 4. So chapter 4 is this wonderful chapter about love and about loving one another, which has been a cardinal virtue of the Scriptures all the way to the beginning of the Scriptures in the Old Testament. In chapter 5, we see the wonderful uh, words of John regarding who Christ is. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, chapter 5, verse 1, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. This is how we know the love of God. We obey his commandments. We obey his commandments. So, again, great teaching by John in terms of what we're supposed to know and what we're supposed to do. One of the questions that people have about Christianity is, what do I have to know? What's the doctrine? What's the faith about? The faith about? And what do I have to do? Paul, uh, John lays, not Paul, but John lays that out beautifully uh, in the fifth chapter of the book of John, 1 John chapter 5. Now, chapters, or books, I should say, um, 2 John and 3 John, there's a couple of scriptures, very short. The first one is um, 13 verses, uh, and I like verse 2. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, verse 3, will be with us from God the Father and Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Now, John is a very strong believer in truth. And when we look back at um, 
chapter 5 of 1 John. He's going to tell you what the truth is, and the truth is found in Christ. The truth is found in Christ, and he talks about him being true. We are in him who is true, second to last verse, and in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So the idea of true, what is true, what is false, what is of God, what is not of God, what is the truth, is a very important idea in, um, in 1 John and in 2 John, and in 3 John, actually. Now, we live in a world where truth is more subjective, but in the world that they're writing in, in the scriptures, it's objective, and that truth is found in a person, Jesus Christ. So he talks about loving one another in verse 5, verse 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that we should walk in it. So again, this juxtaposition of doing what God says, knowing what is true, what is truth, located in a person, following his commandments, and loving him. In 3 John, we see the same development. He says in verse 2, I love verse 2, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So he's not only talking about being in good health personally, he's talking about being in good health with your soul, which is an interesting comment. You don't see that idea very much in the scriptures. It's inferred, it is implicit, but rarely made explicit. I have no greater joy, verse 4 of 3 John, than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Verse 11, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Again, 15 verses compared to 13 in 2 John. Read them slowly, enjoy them. Now, in our daily going through the gospel in the lectionary, we are in Luke chapter 4. So we are going to journey through Luke for quite some time. And we are at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So we're looking at chapter 4 and 5 in this week. And we begin with verse 14. And Jesus is rejected at Nazareth. At Nazareth. He proclaims himself basically to be the Messiah by quoting Isaiah 61. He sits down. He says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, verse 21 of chapter 4. And then he says some very harsh words in 24, 25, 26, and 27. They heard these things in 28, and all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, they rose up and they drove him out of town. They brought him to the brow of the hill. They threw him down the cliff, but he walked through the crowd. They literally were trying to kill him, and he just started. This is how offensive the words that he was sharing with them were. But remember, brothers and sisters, God is in charge of this whole process. God is in charge. Well, what we see in these chapters uh, and verses in Luke chapter 4 and 5, again, are back to healings. So in verses 31 to 37, we heal a man with an unclean demon. In 38 to 44, he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And the word gets around that he's this fantastic healer. In chapter 5, we have the calling of the first disciples. So he's beginning his ministry and he calls 12 men to be with him, and then he heals a leper. 
So we've got healings, we've got the calling, we've got the announcement of who he is, he's beginning his ministry, and finally on Sunday, on Saturday, we have Luke chapter 5, 27 to 29, and we have the calling of Matthew and a question about fasting. So Jesus is showing his divinity by doing miracles. He's showing his authority by making things happen that were impossible. He's illustrating his teaching skill, which is bar none, which was very powerful. He's displaying himself. He's out there with the people, and he's working with 12 men that he's going to disciple and show how to lead people. Now, this process is going to take about three years. So what we have in the Gospels is their interpretation of what they see Jesus doing, literally, and how they're going to write that and share that. And so we are going to deal now uh, in the next many weeks with the Gospel of Luke. So we've got a nice selection for this week. We've got the book of Daniel, uh, three of the best chapters in the Bible. I love Daniel 4, 5, and 6. We have 1 John, which may be new to some of you, 2nd and 3rd John. I think you'll like it very much because it has some very strong opinions about what's really important. And then the continuing journey of Jesus with Luke. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.